Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's just an elegant process. And I've wondered, what would it be like if there was no healing process? You know, I thought, well, you know, I started out one day with a perfectly good finger. It was okay. And then I wounded it. And with no healing process, well, I would just watch it deteriorate and gradually fall off. See? But that's not what I'm watching. I've been watching this elegant healing process. Now, how does that happen? How does the healing of my finger happen? Well, because the physical healing of my finger has been made possible by God. See, that's the key. The healing has been made possible by God because God loves healing. God is all about healing. So when he says in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, in other words, he's giving a name for himself, God the healer. He's giving a title for himself. And so God is not just about physical healing of wounds. God is about spiritual healing as well. As a matter of fact, the physical healing of wounds is only a teaching picture of the greater spiritual healing of the soul. See, the healing of physical wound is like a parable. It's like God saying, now look, you know, how do parables start off? I forgot now. It says... uh, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, the healing of the soul is like unto the healing of the body. Anyways, all right. So the healing of physical wound is like that. So, so in other words, God is saying, do you see this wound healing there? That's a picture of what I want to do with your soul. I want to heal your soul like I'm healing your finger and healing you. Your soul has been wounded by your sin. And I want to heal that spiritual wound because I am the Lord that healeth thee. So for the person who's not a believer, God's saying, come to me. Let me heal your soul from your sin that's destroying you. My blood was shed on the cross. That'll heal your soul. Just call. That's all. For the believer, God's saying, come to me and let me heal your soul from your sin. Just confess. I'll do the rest. And that's what we're seeing here with Abraham. It's the spiritual healing of Abraham that's taking place. A spiritual healing of his soul. A healing made possible by God. But when we talk about the return of Abraham, which we're looking at here, from his sin and our return to God from our sin, there's one thing we should never overlook. And that is that this has been made possible by God. We're not characterized as believers. We're not characterized by our falls. We're characterized by our getting up again. The wicked are characterized by their fall and that they don't get back up again. The wicked just have one bookend, so to speak, on their life. That's what it says. That's what it means in Proverbs 24, 6, where it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The Bible does not portray the believer as never falling. The Bible portrays the believer as getting up when he falls. And that's the reason the believer can get up seven times because after he falls, because God has made that possible. And God's taken him back again. 
That's why we worship him. That's why we thank him for taking us back, for being the father to us of the prodigal son. We're the prodigal son. So we're sitting there, we see the prodigal son, he's getting this whole thing all worked out, what he's going to speech and everything. In Luke 15, 21, he says, okay, now I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. That sounds pretty good. And in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. See, he's all, work, he's all thinking about what he's going to say, which is good. But then we really see God's nature from the response of the prodigal son's father. He says, and then the father said to him, his servants, bring forth thou the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let's eat, be merry. This my son was dead, is alive again, he was lost, he's found, and they began to be merry. See, when a person comes to God in repentance, and he's expecting God to say, well, okay, now I'm going to really teach you a lesson. But no, God says, let's have a party. That's what he's doing here. This is a great day. The lost has been found. That's God. Because he loves the healing process. I am the Lord that healeth thee. This is an interesting little statement in verse 1. Where it says, came up out of Egypt. And then it says, and lot with him. And lot with him. Now we're going to see in this chapter, the character of lot revealed. It's just going to come out. And what we're going to find is going to make us look at those four words in verse 1. And lot with him. And then we're going to ask the question, just exactly how much was Lot really with Abraham? And we're going to find out that Abraham could take Lot with him out of Egypt, and Abraham did. But Abraham could not take Egypt out of Lot. That's the issue here. And Abraham did not take Egypt out of Lot. So it's going to come home to us in this chapter that Lot was physically with Abraham, but Lot was not spiritually on the same page as Abraham. And that's going to be interesting for us because there are children who are like Lot, and they're with Abraham, and the children are physically with their parents, but their parents go to church, their children come to church, but the children are like Lot, and they're, they're looking at the world in a way that's different from the way the parents look at the world. It's the opposite. And unfortunately, sometimes it happens that like Lot, the time comes when those children go to make their own decision and make very clear that they weren't really with them. So with those words, Lot with him, it teaches us that just because someone is with a person who's walking with God, that doesn't mean that that person is also walking with God. Now verse 2. It says in verse 2 that Abraham was very rich in cattle. We saw last week how the word rich means heavy, burdened down, and Abraham was rich in this cattle. And it says here, and this is really setting the stage. This is explaining to us what's going to happen, the problem. It's creating the scene for the problem that's going to follow, see, out of this. It's interesting that Abraham brought out of Egypt cattle and one pretty little handmaid named Hagar, and both the cattle and Hagar would be the reason for untold grief for Abraham. This is a grief of separation within his home. All right, now, verse 5, it also says that Lot also, which went up with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, this is stated to finish setting the stage for the trouble that's going to come. There's going to be this collision. Great collision is going to happen. But the tragedy of verse 5 are the three words, and Lot also. It's a tragedy because and Lot also is not referring to the verse 4 before. You know, the last statement of verse 4 says, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. Then it says, and Lot also. And it would be nice 
If it meant, and Lot also called on the name of the Lord, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that Lot also called on the name of the Lord. It means what it says. And Lot also means that Lot also had flocks and herds. So the fact that Lot also does not refer to, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord, explains to us this, why this collision is going to happen, and this tragedy that's going to take place in this chapter. So here's a collision, verse 6. The land was not able to bear them. They might dwell together, yachad, or like echad, yachad, and their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Again, yachad or echad. So twice in this verse, it was that Abraham and Lot could not be echad. They could not dwell together. And that word is the word that's used in Psalm 133, where it says, behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, yachad. So just how good and just how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity is exactly just how bad and just how unpleasant it is when brethren do not dwell together in unity. So that's why, and twice in this verse 6, the Lord is saying here and emphasizing that they could not dwell together. It was really bad. It was a really unpleasant thing that happened there. So here comes the collision. In verse 7, there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelt in the land. So here's the strife. There's the collision. The strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, herdmen of Lot's cattle. Abram also said it extended to strife between Abraham and Lot. Because the land was limited, and both Abraham's and Lot's had a lot of cattle, and there just wasn't enough land for them to both have so arguments and fights broke out between the herdmen of Abraham, herdmen of Lot. Very sharp, angry words were shot to exchanged. Words that were very sad to have been said, where one side accuses the other and the strife just escalates out of control, and it's just out of control. And after it was done, both sides had scored their hits. Both sides have done damage to each other. Very sad, very sad situation. And you know what was really sad about this situation? The last part of verse 7. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. So God had told Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, Abraham, you're supposed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And that includes the Canaanite families and the Perizzite families. And what those Canaanite and Perizzite families needed was God. They needed Abraham's God. They needed the God of Abraham. And those Canaanite and Perizzite families needed Abraham to bring them the knowledge of God. And those Canaanite and Perizzite families needed to be attracted to God by the lives of Abraham and Lot. Those were God's men there. And the devil, devil didn't want that. The devil wanted those Canaanite and Perizzite families to be repulsed from God by the lives of Abraham and Isaac. The devil was winning here. He's winning. Score one for the devil. Because those Canaanite and Perizzite families saw Abraham's herdmen and Lot's herdmen, and eventually Abraham and Lot, fighting. Now, in verse 8, we read, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Now, Abraham... He's been healed from his spiritual wounds, the sins of Egypt, a terrible Egypt experience. And now he finds himself in a new, terrible, 
trouble, an internal conflict in his home, or extended home, between himself and Lot, his herdmen, Lot's herdsmen, and in this conflict, we get to see Abraham, the man of God. In this conflict, we get to see Abraham, the friend of God. And hot tempers have been let loose, and that separated Abraham and Lot. You know, cutting words have left their wounds, and that separated Abraham and Lot. And the first three words of verse 8 are very important to us. And Abram said, doesn't say Lot said, says, doesn't say they both said to each other. It says, and Abram said. With those words, and Abram said, we can see that it was Abraham who took the first step. It was Abraham who first extended his hand of peace to Lot. It was Abraham, the man of God, who made the first overture to reconcile between himself and Lot. It was Abraham, the friend of God, who took the first step of the ceasefire between him and Lot. Now, Abraham states, as he says, his first words, the guiding principle that's going to move him along. Let there be no strife. See, that's the guiding principle. He states the goal of what he's trying to see accomplished. Let there be no strife. So by saying, let there be no strife, Abraham was saying that he was willing to sacrifice himself. He was willing to abandon his rights, that there would be no strife between them. Abraham was saying that he was willing to ditch his own desire to set the record straight so that there would be no strife between them. By saying, let there be no strife, Abraham was saying that the strife had caused a great loss, huge loss of a great treasure, a good treasure, a pleasant treasure that they had to recover at all costs. Abraham was saying, let there be no strife because he said, we have got to get back to Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And he knew that the strife between them had caused it to be a situation of, behold, and how bad and how unpleasant it is for there to be strife between brethren who are not dwelling together in unity. So we've all seen how strife that is not quenched from the start causes these sad separations, deep wounds. You know, when my aunt died, she had some Wedgwood china. And my uncle, my uncle, not her husband and her brother, Anyway, when my uncle, so she died, right? So my uncle goes in and takes the Wedgwood china. Okay? My cousin said that my aunt had promised her the Wedgwood china. Okay? And so there was a strife over the Wedgwood china. And because of that strife, my uncle and my cousin have not spoken to each other in 20 years. And both my uncle and my cousin have daughters that have exactly the same name. Well, not the same last name. No, no. But the first and second name. The first and middle name. Exactly the same. And my cousin has changed how she pronounces her own daughter's name. So it doesn't sound like my uncle's daughter's name. See? (laughs) And when she changed the way she pronounced her name, her own daughter's name, I challenged her and I said, I thought you pronounced her name this way. And my cousin said, no, it's never been pronounced that way. (laughs) It's always been this way. And I shook my head and I said, one of us is crazy. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But in her mind, 
her daughter's name was never pronounced the way that the name of my uncle's daughter is pronounced. Why? Because my uncle took to China. See? <laughs> and this terrible separation has occurred. For what? For just some old Wedgwood China? And for 20 years, our family has watched this terrible separation. And all of us in the family say, look, we're all willing to go down. Each of us will go down to Costco. We'll buy you the Wedgwood China already to settle the issue. I told my wife, I never want to see Wedgwood China in our house. Very bad feeling about Wedgwood China because of that argument. Now, why did that separation happen? Because neither my uncle nor my cousin was willing to say with Abraham, let there be no strife. And it's been over 20 years, and I I know each one is just waiting for the day when they're going to stand over the grave of the other and say, ah, you see, I won. I got the China. And it's so tragically sad. 20 years. 20 years when they should be together and making memories and wonderful histories together as a family. All lost. All gone. Because no one was willing to step forth and say, let there be no strife. And Abraham knew where that strife would end up. So Abraham took the first step when he went to Lot and said, let there be no strife. And Abraham knew that in order for the conflict to stop, one person has to step up to the plate. One person has to eat the humble pie. And he knew that that one person was going to be him. He was determined. That's why he said, let there be no strife. Was it easy for Abraham to say that? I don't think so. It wasn't easy for Abraham to say, let there be no strife. Why was it not easy? Well, because Abraham was Lot's elder. You know, it was a, Lot was Abraham's brother's son. I think I said that right. So he's old enough to be his father. So when Abraham says, let there be no strife, Abraham was restraining himself from saying, look, you little squirt. <laughs> he says, I'm your elder. It's time for you to respect your elders. He had a right to say that. But... Abraham only said, let there be no strife. You know, Abraham took Lot when his father died. He took him in. And when Abraham said, let there be no strife, Abraham was restraining himself from saying, Lot, look, I took you in when your father died. Is this the way you say thank you to me? By displacing me from the land? But Abraham had a right to say that, but he didn't. He only said, let there be no strife. The cattle that Lot had, that was Abraham who was really, you know, the reason for that. Because he only got that cattle because Pharaoh was giving cattle to Abraham. And Lot probably says, you know, I'm his nephew, since you're in the giving mood. (laughs) And so when Abraham said, let there be no strife, Abraham was restraining himself from saying, you would have no cattle if it was not for me. Is this the way you say thank you by displacing me from the land? He had a right to say that, but he didn't say that. He only said, let there be no strife. And what Abraham did when he said to Lot, let there be no strife, he was doing what Paul said to do in Romans 12, 16, 21, where Paul said, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things that are honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible... As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, and so forth. See, Romans 12 starts with this verse of dedication to God. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, etc., 
So the chapter then goes on from that point to show us what does a dedicated Christian look like? What does a living sacrifice look like? What does a person look like who is not conformed to this world? What does a person look like whose mind has been transformed? And it says that the person looks like, if at all possible, as much as lieth in you, he's living peaceably with all men. So that person looks like Abraham, who said, let there be no strife. He looks like Abraham who heard the words, as much as lieth in you. See, Abraham was determined to find that certain something lying in him. You know, it reminds me of the skunk. We had the skunk. I told you we had the skunk. He tore up my wife's vegetable garden seven times looking for grubs. It was nice, juicy grubs, you know. And, and the skunk, he'd get down there and he would dig, 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 and there'd be dirt all over the place, you know. I, I had some problem with skunk. I but I went through some anger management, and I'm recovered. I had some prejudice against the skunk, but now I'm not prejudiced. I really appreciate the skunk now. I took the skunk. You remember, 18 miles out, Highway 94. And sometimes, you know, worry about the skunk. Think about him. Because the skunk was very interesting, because the skunk gets the D for determination. He's very determined, that skunk. Seven times, in seven different nights. And I felt bad that I came out there with the gun and tried to shoot him. But anyway, fortunately, I didn't see him, so... He's very determined, the skunk, because he knows there's some juicy grubs down there. And he's going to dig, 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 dig till he finds it. You know, as much as lieth in this vegetable bed, I'm going to find that grub. (laughs) That's what the skunk's saying. (laughs) Well, that's what Abraham, he's like the skunk. And he's digging way down in himself and he's saying, let's see what's lying inside of me. Oh, look, I found lying in me damaged pride. I'm not looking for that. Leave that alone. Oh, I found, I found inside me hurt feelings. No, I'm not looking for that. Leave that alone. I found within me violated rights. No, I'm not looking for that. Leave that alone. And then wait, he says. You know, I found lying in me a desire for unity, way down there, and a hatred of strife that destroys. I actually found a little bit of affection for Lot. I found that down there. <laughs> and I, got, I found a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion, small amount of understanding for Lot. But never mind, I found it. Bring it up, exalted. I can use this to live peaceably with Lot. And with what I just found, I can say to Lot, let there be no strife. Now, that's what happened with Abraham here. What I just found lying in me, it's possible for me to live peaceably with Lot. And I'll say, let there be no strife. That's Abraham. That's Abraham who says, let there be no strife. And we are the children of Abraham when we say, let there be no strife. That's the greatness of this man And that's why we want to call Abraham our father. And that's why God wants to say to us, Abraham's your father when you say, let there be no strife. When you say, I'm going to live peaceably with all men. When you say, forget about the hurt feelings, the violated rights, et cetera, et cetera. You say all that because you dug deep down in your heart like that skunk. And you found affection and love and compassion and a desire for unity, and a hatred for strife. And so you brought it up, and you let that be your guiding principle. And then you were really able to say and mean it, let there be no strife. Great sacrifice on the part of Abraham. Great example for us to be self-sacrificing and to deny ourselves. And in that way, we're very, very happy to, to call Abraham our father. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for, Lord, showing us 
what Abraham went through, Lord, it was such a tough thing for him, just having coming out with the battle scars there in Egypt, and then to face this horrible internal attack on the peace of his home. And Lord, what we thank you that you gave him the strength, and you, Lord, gave him the strength to dig deep down and find within himself what he needed to live peaceably with, with Lot. And we pray, Lord, that what we studied this morning won't just be a study of a history, Lord, increasing our understanding of the Bible, but Lord, let this be for us what will be impregnated on our heart, be embossed on our heart, that we, Lord, will come to you and say, help us to be like Abraham, who said, let there be no strife. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 800- 247 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. 